You're ready to be premature wow, all over again. <laughs> wow, that's that's quick, impressive. Quick, quick, quick reset. Yeah. Quick reset. Last night was Ramos Jizz. Jizz. Who knew the job was pro bono? I was so high that um, I shit myself at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get still here. Somebody, somebody, everybody mute. Goddamn, you're killing me. <laughs> My SEAL Team 6 went to SEAL Team 12. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with punching above your weight. The fight you get better. Well, I don't know what's serious. worse. You're a ginger or you've been vaccinated. You sit around and drink and solve the world's problems, right? I don't even know how to start this one. Take a minute. No, it's all good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is a new week. It is a new topic. Uh, this topic, unfortunately for me, is, is going to hit a little close to home, but I wanted to bring this to the table. This is... For all intents and purposes, and, and we can joke or not joke about it, lately, as of late, we haven't been doing a whole lot of debating on the show, and I know we call it a spirit of debate. This one, I'm pretty sure, won't be a debate. This will be more of a conversation. And Grinch, I think you said it best a couple of weeks ago when I first mentioned it, a cathartic conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, this is something that I, I felt compelled to address because of recent events in my life with my family. And so uh, thank you, gentlemen, for being here and and being willing to take this journey with me for the next hour, because I've got a few things to say, and I'm curious where you guys fall on this partic- particular topic. So I don't want to waste any time. Gentlemen, how's everybody doing? Doing pretty good. Yeah, doing pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like I, I need to measure that based on the conversation. We're uh-huh. have. Yeah. <laughs> Contextually great. Thanks for asking. Uh, I, look, and, and it is not in, in an effort to bring the room down. I mean, I know you guys know what I'm going to talk about, even though the listeners don't, but we'll clue them in shortly. It uh, It is obviously something that has been weighing on me. It's been something that's been heavy on my mind, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to actually talk with me about this, or at least allow me to use this form as a sounding board and being able to discuss. And maybe there are things that you will bring to the table that I have not thought of because clearly my focus has been, or, or my attention has been severely focused because of this particular issue. So uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and jump into your, our drinks. I'm going to go first based on our topic. I'm doing a drink called absolute stress because for the last two weeks, that's pretty much where I've been living in this this realm of absolute stress and so it is equal parts absolute vodka uh gosling's dark rum and peach schnapps and then you hit it with an ounce of orange juice an ounce of cranberry juice and you put it all in a shaker and this is what you get it is called absolute stress and so i'm hoping it will relieve some stress Yeah, not if you sip it like that. I think if you just start chugging it, it I might. Mean, that, that that's a pretty manly sized glass, though. So I've got to think once you reach the bottom yeah. of that, you're, you're it's not the punch bowl. I doubled it. Yeah, it's not the punch bowl, but I did double the recipe. Um, very it, the peach. Yeah, the peach comes through really strong, which I'm okay with. I like peach, but uh, and of course you know me, I love my cranberry because I love my clean kidneys and bladder and all that shit. But it is straight, like it. It, it tastes like all peach, and I imagine the peach snobs. Thank you for that. Carries that weight. So that's what I'm doing. Absolute stress. Hopefully the four of us or the three of you can help me relieve some stress from the last few weeks. So, all right, Mac, um, what are you, what are you doing today? Are you doing, Oh, what is it you did last time? Shit. What was it called? Grinch? What? I can't, I don't even remember now. Oh, the the one hit wonder. The one hit wonder. Are you doing it again? Motherfuckers. Doing it again. No, (laughs) I still hate each and every one of you. It's not the one hit wonder. It's either a margarita or a Kentucky buck. It's one of those two. 
No, I oh. went, uh, you know, for, for our topic today, I wanted something very simple, somber. So I'm just doing a straight uh, Eagle Rare with a couple of cherries in the bottom. No. Simple, oh. easy. I would say one ingredient, but you got the cherries. But, uh, you know, you would have like done Haas Proud. Up. Yeah, you'd have right. done Haas Proud if it was just Eagle Rare on an ice cube. Damn right it would have. Come hey, on, everybody. I got some for you. Have you I had Eagle you Rare do. before? I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, well, you know, I, I I had a conversation yesterday with somebody. I was going to break into uh, some of the new stuff. I, I, you know, I obviously just got back from Louisville with, you know. Louisville. Uh, Louisville. 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 Uh, you gotta put the marbles pra- in your mouth. Practicing my coyote marbles. <laughs> practicing my coyote <laughs> skills. Too. You know, bring bringing uh, bourbon back and across the state back. line. That's right. Um, did you do it on foot like you did coming back from Mexico? No, no, I, I no, went. Okay. I, I went straight through TSA. I said, "Screw it, I don't <laughs> barefoot. care." Tell me, you went barefoot? No, sir. Oh, okay. Two socks. Um, it's Kentucky, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you don't know what's growing out there. Fair point. Um, so I was going to break into something like that, but then somebody, you know, convinced me, well, you've got bottles open. You can't open a new bottle yet. You're um, not Grinch, bro. It's equal in, equal out. If you're bringing it in, something's got to leave and nothing's leaving your house. So you got to manage that. Yeah, well, I guess I'm not drinking enough. That's what I'm hearing. Haas would agree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Haas approves say? this message. Yeah. So just Eagle Rare with some cherries, no rare. ice, no nothing. Uh, well, it had ice in it, but you know. Since it took a while to get us started here, the ice is now gone. Gotcha, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. All right. It'll still drink fine. There you go. All right, Grinch, what about you, brother? What are you drinking? Uh, all right. I will show it to you. Okay. Um, this Very is pretty. Called, that's fancy. It it's got rosemary this is in called, it. called uh, Mint Spray. Oh, actually. it looks like rosemary. Um, this is called the See No Evil. <clears throat> okay. Um, there's a guy on YouTube and other places, but Anders uh, Ericsson, uh, this is his recipe that he came up with. And what he said was um, he had a customer request a mezcal based kind of tiki style drink. He had me until mezcal. So he says he doesn't <laughs> remember whether it was 2015 or 16 that he came up with it, but either way, he came up with it and uh, it gets its name from, I guess the band was playing at the time like the music of uh, a band called television and the song was see no evil so that's where it gets its name but i thought it was very appropriate for you know this topic uh, for this so uh so it's an ounce and a half of mezcal um three quarter ounce lime juice three quarter ounce orgeat three dashes of tabasco and then you shake it up with uh crushed ice and then you put like five-ish dashes of bitters on the top. You add your mint sprig, and then you put some nutmeg on there. And I have not tried this, so I have no idea. I was going to ask, does it, does it taste like a dirty Band-Aid? Does that, and, does that flavor come through? And he says, he's like, you can drink it and then finish with the bitters, or you can mix it up. Totally up to you. So here we go. So you're drinking from the bottom down, right? So your bitters won't come in until the end? There's a lot going on there. Holy shit. Uh, I'm interested though, the mint. You don't muddle it with mint. What's the purpose of the fucking mint spray? Uh, You're not gonna get on the nose. Yeah. That, that's you get simply, some oils. That's it. You, you look get look some pretty oils in there. Okay. Yeah. Um I, I, I like that. I like that. So um, so I, is that you use mezcal mm-hmm. 
and you're okay. Okay. And Definitely tasting the mezcal. Um, I think there's enough stuff probably in it that it maybe it. cuts that and, mezcal a little and bit. I'm, well, actually, you know, it's funny. I smelled it before I put it in, and I can definitely taste the mezcal. Okay. Um, and it's not bad. It's got uh, – it's, uh, it's, I'll have to go get the bottle because it's the same one he uses in his recipe. Okay. I happen to find that bottle. Um, and, uh, man, that's, that's pretty good. Maybe I don't know if I could drink just... a, like more than one. Because there's so much going on. Maybe. And you haven't even gotten to the bitters, right? Because you didn't mix it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably going to mix it up because I want to see what the bitters are like. But yeah. See no evil. See no evil. And again, I I struggle with Mezcal, but maybe it works. Maybe Max, right? Maybe there's enough going on there that I don't know. I mean, lime juice and orgeat. You know, you get an almondy, limey taste, which, of course, just at face value. And then you're like, well, let me then throw in some hot sauce. You know? And some bitters and a little mint. Oh, yeah. And a dirty Band-Aid wrapped in a sock. Sure. I guess it works. All right. All right. See no evil. There you go. All right. Let's finish it up with you, Haas, brother. What did you bring to the table today? I don't want to disappoint you, so I'm, I'm going basic. Never going to happen. It's, it's a cube. Just a cube. A cube with about was that three, four fingers of uh Michter small batch. You do like your Michters. I do recently very much enjoy a nice healthy pour of Michter small batch. And one big fat fucking ice cube. One big fat fucking ice cube to keep it nice and chill. You know what? There's a certain comfort to predictability. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I have to be honest, I just uh I've noticed that I really do just enjoy drinking like, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. I like you're um, missing that cock flow app. Just drinking. Problems. Well, no, I still have it sadly, but I mean, it's, um, you know, like yesterday I had two or three of the Dos Maderas on a, on a cube. Uh, and then I think, what was that? Uh, yeah, we did the cocktails on Friday night. I just really, there's, I don't, it's not that I don't enjoy a good cocktail. I do. I just, there's something about just straight up booze. Mac is in a room with you right now. No fuss, no muss. That's like really appetizing. It tastes really good. You know, Grinch and I are throwing all kinds of shit together. You're all all about trail. Your shoulders are hurting carrying this load. I was just trying to like (laughs) finally like run up and like give you a, give you a nudge. (laughs) Let me try something. (laughs) I I think it's great what you guys do. I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued by it. I just don't think I have that level of commitment most days. And that's okay. That's no, the beauty I believe of what that we, you do. Yeah, it's the beauty of what I, we bring to the table. I've seen you with a towel on your shoulder going to yeah, town. Yeah, when I'm being instructed <laughs> yeah. what to do, step by step by a professional, I'm, I'm good. That's it. But when yeah. I'm left to my own devices, I'm like, mm, it's Mictors on an ice cube. That seems a lot like a part time job, and I'm not getting paid to do this. <laughs> the payoff is, you know, when you're drinking it. Yes, which Hopefully. I want to get to. I'm going to assume that's oh, him that, since that nobody else posted froze. to the, uh, to the website. <laughs> <laughs> Screenshot time. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is the bottle. That's the Mezcal Vita. Yeah. It's interesting because it's called a single village Mezcal. wonder what that means. It was only made in one village. Well, I, I get that, but I'm just I mean, saying. What? I don't what's think you have the, to speak Spanish to figure no, that out. No, but I'm saying, what is the purpose of claiming a one village mezcal? What What is the benefit of that? That's what I'm wondering. Like, is it a only a certain? Uh, when we had who? Who's your your friend? The general. Yeah, Deluca. 
DeLuca, like he was saying in Italy, they will they will make liqueurs from local areas because the flavors in that area are different than any other area. I wonder if that's the one village aspect here. Yeah. It, the flavors are different. Well, and it's interesting. So, and I, I, I agree with this description. Uh, Vita has an aromatic nose of tropical fruit with a hint of honey and notes of ginger, cinnamon, and a bit of tangerine with a long, smooth finish. And Walmart dirty band-aid. Yeah. Uh, all right. So topic, what's on the table today? It's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation. Uh, so recently in the last few weeks, I have lost a family member unexpectedly to a drug overdose. And here in the state of Florida, which is where they reside, resided, um, I began to do quite a bit of research in terms of what had happened and the legality surrounding an overdose from the police, from the hospital, drug treatment, um, just the law in general. And I began to first and foremost get angry, but I began to find that there were a lot of inconsistencies in the way things were dealt with or can be dealt with, the way that legally they tend to hamstring the family member of someone who is an addict and the way addicts are viewed by and large. And as I kind of dove deeper into it, uh, I spoke at length with my aunt. My aunt used to live in Crystal River, my mom's younger sister. And for quite a few years, she ran a number of drug clinics in central and north Florida. And a lot of her frustration surrounding that was the way governmental bodies dealt with that, the way law enforcement viewed drug addicts, that they weren't really willing to put in the effort to help them. And that if... For all intents and purposes, if they were gone, they were fine with it. It was just one less mouth to feed, body to deal with, individual to have to concentrate effort and resources on, which I guess is frustrating and you don't think about it until it happens to be your own family member. So really, that's what I wanted to talk about. I know it's a lot. And as we kind of dive into this, I would love to kind of get y'all's take on it in terms. And again, we all live in different areas. Hosh, you're abroad. I don't even know any of this information and how it applies in Europe. Um. And I know both Mac and Grinch, you are in North Carolina, and I don't know kind of how they navigate legally the issues of drug abuse, drug treatment, uh, and things of that nature. But um, there are also a number of things that you guys aren't aware of yet that I, and I talked to Mac about this, that I hadn't really kind of clued you into because I wanted kind of a live reaction from you all and kind of get your opinion on certain aspects of what we're dealing with live on the show as opposed to, you know, you guys being able to think about it. I just, you know, wanted more of kind of that visceral reaction. So there are some things I'm, I will impart during this hour just to kind of get y'all's opinion on, but that, that is kind of the breadth and, and width of what I want to talk about. And, um, first and foremost, um, it has been a painful few weeks. Now, when I say family member, the family member is technically related to my wife, not me directly, but watching that happen was painful. And then dealing with kind of the fallout afterwards, equally as painful. So we're, we're still kind of reeling from that, but I, I definitely want to jump in and talk about that. So thank you everyone for being here for this. And and again, I know it's not a bright and cheery subject and sometimes we tend to hit these, but um, I'm hoping that it will kind of help me process and move through this. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, uh, one of the questions I meant to ask, and I don't think I have yet was, uh, I mean, as far as you know, is this kind of a lifelong struggle? It was, unfortunately. It, it, it from... 
about 20, 22 years old. It started and then um, he passed away at 44. So, you know, you're talking more than two decades of kind of in and out dealing with issues. The family Half trying his life, to, right? Right. The family dealing with the issues, trying to get help. And, and again, that was one of the issues that we've had or... And again, my wife and I have been together, hard to, to believe when I say it out loud, but almost 15 years in October will be 15 years. And so, I mean, I've been there for a good portion of it. And while I, I did have a relationship with this individual, it, it was not, it wouldn't obviously be on the level like we all have a relationship with each other, but still when something like this happens, it's a shock, you're unprepared for it. But I think by and large, people will go when you tell them to go, oh, it's a 20 year addiction. It's a 20 year issue. What did you think the outcome was going to be? Well, and that, and that brings me to a question I have, and we may get into this later, but um, so, so we're talking about, you know, 20, 20 plus years, you know, were there attempts to try and get help to, you know, resolve the issue, both by the family and the individual? Um, or was it kind of something where he had just, you know, leaned into it, this is the way it's going to be, and I'm okay with that? By and large, most of the help came from the family, and it was... Um... And, and I will get the terms backwards because I always do. There is Marchman Act and there is Baker Acting. Mar one of them, and I can't remember which it is, Marchman Act is either when the family uh, goes to the police and says there's an issue, we would like him put in a rehab facility. Baker Act or the reverse, Marchman Act, I can't remember. One is by the family, one is by the authorities. So if the family, if it's Marchman Act, they're, they're basically petitioning the court to put an individual in a rehab facility. The other, which I believe is Baker acting, is when the authorities do it, uh, save from the family. They make the decision to do it. And so that had been tried a number of times. My wife had had him, I believe, as Marchman acted, where she goes down, petitions um, the authorities to to place him. But again, they can only place him for 72 hours. Yeah. And then, but had, I, I was going to ask that, like, you know, what were the boundaries for how long? Because I, I, I assume there's some some similarities to having someone committed versus self-commitment, right. you know, you know, being forced to enter a, a detox rehab um, versus, you know, taking yourself down and going, I'm here, I'm staying until I'm clean. Or until I'm clean. Right. And, and again, like there were hopes and it's bad to say, but there were hopes were like, well, if he goes to jail, he's away from it. But unfortunately a large portion of inmates still maintain a drug habit because access still exists. Like, and so why is that? And how is that even a possibility that like should be the right? furthest thing they should have access to. And yet they do the, the research right. that I was, uh, you know, here in the state of Florida, they're saying that inmates, it's like 85.1% of inmates still have access. And even in incarceration, it's like, and we've all seen uh, the shows. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, it's a black it's like, market kind of right. economy, you know, I mean, they're trading in and they're, they're able to get it in. They're able to get it out either through security guards or what, you know, whatever it is, but it's just like shit, man. But uh, to answer your question, yes, through the years, it has, has been almost primarily the family doing things to my knowledge, nothing from the individual themselves. Okay. It was always, I don't, I was really always excuses, us. always, I don't have a problem or, you know, I've got it under control or I'm not doing this or that. And it's like, well, okay, uh, and to that point, um, you know, the specific family members as it relates to, you know, my orbit, um, that, that have had issues, uh, as it, you know, anyway, the, the quote was said, and I'm not, I'm not going to attribute it 
just so I'm not trying to narrow it down as to who I might be referring to, was until somebody wants to stop, like they want to, no amount of intervention helps. Yep. You know, a law of averages, if you will. Right. Because if at their core, they don't really want to stop doing it, then it doesn't matter. It's right. the whole thing you've always talked about, pain threshold, right? Until that pain right. threshold is met. You're, you're just preventing it for a period of time. The act, you know, keeps going. Kind of get through it and it's like, hey, am I below the radar again? Okay. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah. And, and the problem is not only that, but from a law enforcement standpoint, like my wife was on the phone with law enforcement the other day. And again, this is, to frame this, this is kind of middle Florida, central Florida, excuse me, it's, it, it encompasses five or six counties in the central Florida area. And it is where almost exclusively my aunt operated her, her drug clinics. And when I spoke with her, she said, look, it's a good old boy mentality. And they do have a singular minded view about drug addiction in that area. She goes, that's why I eventually shut down my clinics because it was a constant uphill battle. And so just kind of asking about these things, I was- What a shame. It is a shame because she was genuinely trying to get people help. But here was one thing which I did not realize. And when she mentioned it, I, I was shocked and kind of taken aback is the reason by and large authorities don't do anything for drug addicts rehabilitation drug treatment is because at at least in this state that i know of and it may be different other states for every inmate that's in prison the state receives funding but for every individual in rehab the state receives a zero so there's Uh, no incentive there's no incentive yeah to get people into rehab because they're not getting money for it the state receives no funding for that but they do for every inmate and she says it's a sad state of affairs but money drives everything and she goes and i want I wonder how many drug addicts, the real underlining issue is a mental health issue, and they're just, you know, using drugs to to deal and cope. cope. Uh, I, I would imagine a large portion, because everything I looked at in terms of drug treatment, you know, the National Institute of Drug Abuse at the National Institute of Health and, you know, things of that all, all kind of make that connective tissue of drug-related problems and mental health. Now, is it 100% across the board? No. I mean, that would be a wildly ridiculous blanket statement to make that every person that has a drug problem has a mental health issue. But by and large, that is a lot of the connective tissue that there there are, there tends to be mental health issues related to it. Um, but that was frustrating. It was frustrating to, to find out that the pervasive belief is, well, they're a drug addict. And, and when my wife spoke with the police officer, that was his first statement. Well, you know, he was a drug addict. And my, of course it pissed her off. She's like, yeah, I'm aware nobody's denying it, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't be afforded the right of an investigation to look into this issue because there are a lot of other parameters surrounding it. Um, but the first thing somebody says is he's a drug addict, almost like, again, like I said, what did it, you it's expect? It's almost like it's not worth our time to, right. you know. And and that was the one this. thing my my aunt said was, please be aware that if this is, if you're looking for justice, the, the mentality is not going to be in your favor. Nobody's going to openly sit there and go, we totally, from a law enforcement standpoint, we get it. We totally understand, blah, blah, blah. You know, it is a good old boy mentality. Nobody's going to step up. The the overriding belief is that they're drug addicts and the world would be better off without them. And it's well, just like, but they're still yeah. a human being. Their, their like, thought process. And, and, and again, we're painting with a broad brush here, right? Course. Obviously, but, you know, is that it's one less thing we've got to deal with now. 
you know, it's right. one less, you know, call we have to take. Well, to, I mean, they have limited out. resources, right? No, and I get it's it. Like, you know, how do you prioritize? I mean, it's not that I agree with the the mentality, but I can definitely understand how it becomes pervasive. Right. Uh, and and, it, and when, I get it on that aspect, Haas. I'm not, I'm not disputing that, Grinch. I didn't mean to cut you off. I get that that tends to be the case, right? We have limited resources. They have to be allocated a certain way. We're trying to protect the largest portion of the population that we can. But when it's an individual that's a family member, I don't think that brings somebody comfort when <laughs> when that's the belief. It's like yeah. my person was was due justice too. So yeah, I, I mean, it's it's piling onto that that line of thought, which is, you know that kind of the more problems you have, the more callous you become towards those problems. And then it's right. human nature to start kind of racking them of like, I actually really give a shit or I just have to deal with it because a crime has been committed. Right. You know, and, and, you know, and I've mentioned this before. I mean, I'm drawing from still a very small total time, you know, amount of time experience as it relates to this, but going back to doing the internship with the police department, you know, I keep thinking about, one, the guy who would constantly fake a heart attack and lay in the middle of an intersection just so he could get the EMTs to check him. And the dude that was had Tourette's that was yelling at everybody out in front of like a Kmart. Because absent the police, it begs the question of who do you call that can actually mm. provide the services necessary. They almost have like a police-like authority to go, I deem this person, you know, or I'm going to enter them into a legal process by which they could be assessed. And then we're going to move them because they're a threat. And obviously there's a lot of like that could scare. I mean, it's kind of scary to think about that of like, you're sitting there out on the streets and somebody's like, no, I decided you're a whack job. And you're going, I'm sorry, what just happened? You know? right. <laughs> because at the end of the day, like it's call it an American ideal or whatever, but you like having individual rights and believe in like, I, at the end of the day, I can be the way I want to be. The problem is when the person is legitimately sick and you can, you know, take that term any way you want, right? As it fits to mental health and so forth. There's just no, there's no mechanism by which that that happens, short of family intervening, because I, because the threshold to get crossed is legality, right? To go and, into another channel, and that was the issue that you know the family ran up against time and time again. Was like, he's not well. He he's have having issues. You know, we'd like to do something. Well, he's X years old. There's nothing you can do. If he chooses, fine. But you can't force that short of, like I said, a Baker Act or a Marchman Act. But that's a 72-hour hold. And they'll simply look at him and go, is he a threat to himself? Is he a threat to society? And if not, they're going to release him on his own recognizance at the end of that 72 hours. And then you're right back to square one and there's nothing you can do. I, I guess it boggles my mind that somebody in that situation can get 72 hours by force right you have to you have to put a baker act and hold or something like that but if you have a drug related charge nonviolent you're going to do time so i can go to jail for 5 years for an issue related to drugs but i can only get 72 hours in a facility that's fucked up and well, and that's the part i don't get it's like you're not helping them and you're you're closing every door that gives family members access to help them what the fuck is what does that do Nothing. And that's why you have issues like this. You're, you're right. I mean, you just described how a story ends up the way it does. Right. And I was, re I was researching stuff. A report from the National Drug Intelligence Center estimates the cost to society for drug use 
$193 billion. Now, this was back in 2007, and a substantial portion of that, $113 billion, was associated to drug-related crimes, including criminal justice system costs and costs borne by victims of the crime. They also did an analysis of uh, the cost of treating drug use, including health costs, hospitalizations, and government special treatments. That cost came in at a whopping $14.6 billion. So you don't want to pay the $14.6 billion, but you'll pay the $193 billion when it comes to drug-related issues. Yeah, and, and you guys have said this repeatedly on a number of topics in almost the three years we've been doing this. As a society here, we're reactionary. Everything from medical, you know, all of those things tend to be a reactionary process as opposed to trying to get out in front of it and going, well, let's see, it's $193 billion if we fight the drug battle, or it's $14.6 billion if we just get these people treatment and hope that they don't have an issue. But it has to be some form of kind of ongoing treatment. It can't be three days and done. And it's yeah. just like that, that if it's dollars and cents, that's a no brainer. And yet we're still. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's to me, it's kind of the classic. It's, I don't know if this will be, this is a really stupid statement, but it's a lot of direct cost indirectly applied across society. So to get any one segment to be mobilized about this is the fix. Cause I mean, how long have we been hearing about the opioid crisis? And right. I'll be honest, it's not in my face. Most days, I don't even think about it. Right. Because it's, it's just not something I encounter. So therefore, I'm like, is it that bad? I don't know. Right. It, admittedly, I was the same way. I mean, I knew about it on the periphery with this issue I have for 15 years. And again, I've had a relationship with this family member. But until this happened, I, I wasn't kind of headfirst into the windshield in the situation where it's like, oh, well, there it is. And now you don't get to ignore it. You don't get to pretend like it wasn't going on. Not that we ever did, but there's only so much you can do. Well, uh, and, and I mean, the the common theme amongst it all is, is addiction. Right. Because we've had this discussion, like I think when we were talking about legalizing marijuana, I mean, you can be addicted to alcohol and it is perfectly legal. Right. It is addiction in a generalized sense. It's just some, some different types of drugs are, are more damaging than others in terms of their instant impact of like, you just become absolutely dysfunctional, you know, whereas you, you know, some, you know, we've heard the term functioning alcoholic, right? Right. You know, you're still going to work, getting up as far as most people know, it's like, eh, they probably took a nip of something this morning, you know, but, but they're here, right. <laughs> you know, as opposed to laying in a, some shithole house with like a needle hanging out of your arm. And again, when you talk about the opioid uh, epidemic where, you know, by and large, previous to maybe today, it was, uh, what was it? Oxycontin. Mm. Not to be confused with oxycodone, but it was oxycontin, which was a powerful opioid used to fight chronic pain with, doc you know, doctors would prescribe it to fight chronic pain. Now they've got a new one on the market. It's not new, I imagine, but fentanyl. And mm -hmm. this is 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. Which I remember growing up, everybody, you know, my dad was always like, morphine, it's fucking phenomenal. Like, if you have an issue and they hit you with that, <laughs> you have no pain, you know, that type of thing. And it's just like, so now you have something 50 to 100 times more powerful that's on the open market that people have access to that anybody with an issue will potentially try to get a hold of. And then they crush it up. They can shoot it. They can snort it. And it's like, why do we give people access to this shit? Why do we need something that strong to mitigate pain? 
And, and it's because you are just asking for fucking trouble. Did they not learn anything from Oxycontin? Clearly not, because somebody designed something even more powerful. Well, and, and you know, I mean, I said addiction broadly, but just kind of narrowing back in on drugs. I mean, we're all familiar with the war on drugs that started right. back in the, you know, what the 80s. 80s. Just you say know, with Reagan. I'm a hoe. Right. <laughs> but then you, and, but, you know, and then you, and so the, the, you know, the criminal kind of justice philosophy has gone through different thought, pro, you know, different mo modalities and methods, which was, well, we're going to amp up the, you know, the amount of time you'll spend in jail so high that surely you just won't want to do it. Right? right. But that's, as we've discussed, that's not what the person's thinking. They're not rationally thinking I'm going to get caught. Therefore, I'm not doing this drug because shit, I'll be in jail for 10 years. And of course right. we all know that the effect that had on the criminal justice system at large, which was overpopulated the shit out of it right. for relatively meaningless crimes. I, you know, and then there was the problems of like, you know, I mentioned, um, listening to Dan Cummins's uh, podcast when he was talking about LA area and how crack carried one um, sentence, but cocaine carried a different because of who in society was using it. Right, right. Actors, producers, wealthy were white using people. cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah. But the poor crack was typically in your out how you could cut it and get get more uses, so it was right. cheaper, and it carried a higher prison sentence. Like that's just. In like, essence, it's the it same drug. Nothing. Right. It's the same <laughs> drug sold to two different sets of population, and it didn't have an equal – there wasn't equality in the, the punishment being doled out. Um, yeah. I, You know, if we dive deeper into this specific event, and for me, you know, it's – like I said, it's it's painful watching the family go through it. So kind of a, a brass tacks of what happened so you guys are aware – the, the OD occurs. He is found on the floor by another individual in the house who calls 911. They are on the phone for nearly 14 minutes before paramedics arrive. And then he's whisked away to the hospital. Never was responsive, never regained responsiveness. Uh, they intubated him. He had aspirated his own vomit. So they had, he had pneumonia. So they, they placed the tube and, you know, they were trying to remove that, but nobody knew the significance of the damage. And then what they began to find out once tests were being run in the critical care unit was there was almost zero brain function because his body, his heart had stopped and there was some pumping blood. So there was no oxygen getting to the organs, obviously those being the most important being the brain. And so that is where the issue lied. And so as my wife and I dove into it, we pulled the police report we got the 911 call in audio format. We paid for and listened to it. And and I, I don't know if any of you have ever listened to a 911 call when it's a family member. It's hard as fuck to listen to. Um, and initially what they told us, and this was kind of the, the and I may have mentioned this to some of you or all of you, the, the kind of up and down when it happened two weeks ago, the her older brother called and said, you know, this has happened. He's OD'd and he's died. That was the first thing we got no preparation, no nothing. And so of course my wife was like, obviously shocked and she's like, wait a minute, let me dive into it. Let me make some phone calls. She called the police. They said the responding officer would call back, didn't hear from him. She uh, called the hospital. They said, yes, we have him. He is currently unresponsive. He's on a breathing tube. They've got him intubated, but he is here. She's like, okay. The responding officer finally called back and said, yes, he was transported to this hospital. 
he is in stable con- or when they stabilize his condition, he's going to be taken to a drug treatment facility. Okay. Well, you went from he's OD'd and died to he's going to be, he's at the hospital. And when they stabilize him, they're moving him to a drug treatment facility. So we're like, okay, thought the worst, hope for the best. And now maybe things are good. And then obviously as the week went on, it's, it spiraled and that can only go down. And yeah. And, and so it got progressively worse and he ended up passing away. But all of that in, in, encompasses a situation that my wife is trying to navigate in terms of the legality of it. And because she was in this house, there has been some issues at this house. Uh, we pulled the 911 calls for the last year. Her brother has been there since April of 2022. There have been 31 911 calls placed to this house. Excuse me, how many? 31. In how long? In 11 months. I've been in my house seven years. I have not called 911 once. Yeah, that's that's beyond excessive. So that's excessive, right? I mean, that's like a call a month or what? Beyond two it. calls a month, something like that. I mean, it, but it is ridiculous. And so, um, everything that we had, everything in on social media, everything that we had access to, texts that they had sent us, that the individuals that they were living with sent us, threats about the you know that individuals threatened, you know, you need to come get this individual, blah blah blah. And so, you know, my wife submitted all of this to the court system in up there in central Florida, and they're going to review it. They're going to give it to their major crimes division, and they're going to review it and get back and see if a case should be opened related to this death. And as things started to wear on, we she spoke to the the officer that was going to be investigating it, or one of the officers, and he he was the one that said, well, he was a drug addict, again, which pissed her off. And he said, well, the belief is he ingested methamphetamines. And she's like, what do you mean he ingested methamphetamines? A, we bought the 911 call. You're a cop in the county. You have access to the 911 call. At one minute and 22 seconds, the caller states, I have found him on the floor with a hypodermic needle in his arm. I thought it was interesting because most people would just say, and Grinch, you just did it, a needle in their arm. Why would you denote hypodermic needle? Right. I mean, that's just not mm-hmm. that's not common vernacular for Joe Average to go. It was the hypodermic needle. You just say fucking needle. People get it. But they said it and it stuck out. And she told him, like, but it says at a minute and 22 seconds, he had a needle in his arm. Did you not find anything? He goes, no. When we responded, there was no drug paraphernalia, no drugs, nothing. Hmm. Huh. OK, well, didn't that throw up a red fucking flag? Should have. I mean, you have access to that information. Uh, she pursued information in terms of what the the actual death was what caused it because we knew fentanyl may have been involved because a video was sent to my wife where they were filming this person and fentanyl was mentioned well you took fentanyl yesterday so we had never heard fentanyl being used before this happened so of course when we we asked about that they said well unfortunately this is the hospital our tox panel doesn't show synthetic drugs so i researched that hospitals can use either six eight ten 12 or 13 panel drug screens. I don't know which one this hospital used and they're not giving us that information, but I'm, I'm imagining it was probably one of the, like it was like a six panel, which gives you like cocaine, barbiturates, marijuana, like the basic ones. The usual suspects. Right. But uh, nothing synthetic related. So they're like, well, we can't tell you if it was fentanyl, but what we can do is we can, we can examine the liver and the heart because they will show signs that fentanyl was used. I guess the way in which it, it, manifest itself in those particular organs. And the doctor said, we believe it was fentanyl because his the way his breathing, his respiratory was depressed. That was a, a sign that fentanyl may, may have been used. 
So we're trying to develop this case to at least get it investigated. And when we asked the medical examiner to review the case, they said, well, we don't have any samples after the, after this individual passed. They go, well, we don't have any of the samples. Okay, well, what about the hospital? Well, the hospital tosses the samples after three days. But if you know there's a potential case being mounted, why would that happen? Well, that's because, you know, this person's doing something, but they're not notifying this person. So mm -hmm. everybody has managed to drop the ball now, and it has become an uphill battle and incredibly frustrating. But yeah, I, and I told her, I said, I don't have a lot of faith in this part of the state, basically talking to my aunt and the, and the approach that they tend to take in, in these matters. So I said, if nothing comes of this, we have to be prepared for that. But I'm like, you guys have the same access we do to stuff more so, and you act like you just don't fucking care. And I just don't get it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, and, and my, the few law enforcement people I've come across in my career, it's not the ones that were that way. It's not that they didn't care or ever cared or couldn't, were incapable of caring. A lot of times they were tired and run down and, and just as basically they were fr as frustrated as you are. But but um, exp exponentially more so, right? Because right. they were seeing it and dealing with it every on day, all lines. day. Right. Because this, it, I don't think the system makes it easy on those individuals that give a shit and are trying to, to do right either. Right. Uh, you know, and again, it was weird because they said, oh, it, we, you know, he was down in his cardiac. It was a, uh, atrial fibrillation. His heart wasn't beating, so he wasn't getting oxygen for 10 minutes. Mm. Well, we listened to the 911 call. The 911 call was 14 minutes long. He didn't breathe the whole time. And then it took the paramedics 10 minutes to get him to the hospital. Well, that doesn't include any of the time they got to get him on the gurney, get him hooked up, get him into the ambulance. So you're talking roughly 25 minutes. He was without oxygen. Yeah, I took I took note of that when you said it, because I remember you initially telling us he went 10 minutes without oxygen. Right. And, 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 then, and then when you said what you said about the call, I was like, well, that's a lot more than 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and on yeah. two separate occasions, the caller says he's blue. So clearly he was not getting oxygen and, and they were trying to perform CPR before the paramedics got there. But I'm like, you're talking 25 minutes without oxygen. Now you guys know what happened to me in 93. I was face down in a bathroom. I, I, I was face down on a garbage bag and I couldn't breathe. And I was without oxygen for just a few minutes, maybe four or five minutes that they know that's that that was their speculation because the door was closed until my dad knocked it down but they told me there's a potential for you he could have brain damage there's just no telling when they got me out on the floor my eyes were fixed and dilated uh i was unresponsive but that's just four or five minutes i can't imagine almost 25 minutes without oxygen well Clearly, it's, it's two really different right because you were young and you were you were fit and healthy this is an individual who was older and had had multiple doing like, damage. De multiple decades of damage through right. drug use and probably yeah. not the healthiest. But, but, but either but way, you're, you're, you go that long without oxygen. The, right. the end result typically it's is not probably not good. Yeah, it's right. usually not a good outcome from that. I mean, even even recoverable, the, the individual would have probably Long -term sustained problems. Yeah, Long -term yeah, memory issues. problems, right. headaches, you know, all sorts of stuff. And Probably, and of course, probably seizures. And, and of course, I, I, I made the statement to my wife. I said, that happened to me at 16, and it was a wake-up call. Like, okay, I almost died. I'm not doing that again. You know, obviously, this individual didn't have that happen, has had that happen a few times. I think four different times uh, paramedics were called for issues related to, to drugs where he was basically out, and they had to revive him. But 
nothing on this level. And and I'm thankful, I guess, in looking back that that happened to me when it did. And it opened my eyes going, I don't want to end up on the floor. I don't want my parents to have to find me. And I feel bad all the time. I apologize to my parents. I'm like, I'm sorry that you had to find me that way. I can't imagine what that's like, especially now having kids. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the things that concerns me, we can touch on this now or later, but it's something you just mentioned, right. Is, you know, if you look at this strictly from a business standpoint, right. The, the cost of, okay. So you said, you know, four times that you know of probably, right. How many times, you know, how many other times has the ambulance been out there? Right. You know, whereas you just force that individual to check in, you know, and, and again, right. I mean, if they don't want to, they're not going to, but you know, if you force them to check in and get clean, you know, you, you have a higher percentage chance that they may stick with it over say 72 hours, right? 72 hours isn't going to get you shit. Let's be right. honest. Right. But you know, if you check them into a program for 120 days, you know, where you say, okay, you know, Strike, you know, just like with felons, right? You know, this is your third strike. You know, we've been out here for you know same issue for three, three times. You're getting committed for 120 days, and you know, again, it may stick, it may not, but you know, you know, I think you have a better opportunity for it to stick when you've gotten clean at 120 days or whatever. Right, and I'm, I'm, I agree with you right there, saying it's like a, it's like a three strikes and you're out. Right. Well, if this if this is your third time, we've had to find you and revive you. You're going in a facility; it's not up for debate. Yeah, you don't get an option anymore, right? right. It's just just like going to prison, right? I mean, and and yet we're okay. And again, as I said earlier, we're okay with that because the states receive funding for prisoners, but right. they don't receive funding if you're in rehab. That's that's not a business driver for them. So there's no incentive, as yeah, Haas that, said. There's that's, no that's incentive clear, for it. That's clearly one of the things that needs to change. Right. Well, yeah. it, it would rehabilitate. <laughs> And I have to imagine, you know, we, we, we've seen with the drug use in terms of like cost and incarceration time, you know, similar statements of three strikes, you know, you're going in longer and longer and longer. Um, I guess, you know, where my head is on that is you kind of come back to, or I come back to originally the quote that this person said to me, which is if you're an addict, unless you want to change, it doesn't matter. So to force somebody into a program when they have no real intention of adhering to it. Well, can, I, can, I, can also I, I agree have with that. It could have negative impacts, but well, you, you might find you're just spending time and resources to not accomplish a whole lot is right. But, but I is, guess my point being is you're going to spend those time and resources one way or the other, right? You're, Cause you're going to be back out at that house, you know, with your well, ambulance and whatever, yeah, you yeah. Know, at least yeah. this way. Okay. Yeah. It didn't stick, but, you know, well, for 120 days, we weren't going out there, you but, know, right. and, I mean, and to do kinda, that. And, and we, where I'm going and, with this is the it's a numbers game. Of, it probably happened at one point, and somebody came back with the argument of what are we really accomplishing? And so now that now those costs are still there, they're just being felt elsewhere. Right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like we did in the net, we're no better off. We just moved some cups around you know or move the chairs around on the titanic but, <laughs> and but that's really what we're doing here you you okay but you may save three people out of you know 500 but you know is it worth the attempt if you say if you reach three people right and, and you know in that opportunity i don't know well i was just trying to find stats because obviously there are stats all day long about uh 
criminal recidivism. And I was trying to find out, okay, well, what's, what's the same type of thing as it relates to like drug patients and stuff like that. And I did see one and I I'm trying to locate that now where Grinch, you were talking about like, and they were saying uh, a certain percentage. And that's what I was trying to find. If you force them. And I know you're saying if they have, if they do it voluntary voluntarily, you're more likely to get positive results, but they were saying a certain percentage, even when forced still have a positive outcome. So that's to say, don't not force them if that's your only viable option, because a certain yeah, percentage and, and, will that, still benefit. And that's my point, that's right? Devil, is you're not going to get advocate state, by the way, that's not, I'm not arguing that. that oh, position, I know. I know. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, you're, you're not going to get everybody, but if, like I said, you know, if you save one or two people, is it, is it worth the effort? I don't, you know, right. I think it is, but. They're... I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, it, I'm generally of falling on this, on the philosophical side of the ounce of prevention, you know, prevents a pound of treatment. Right. Like you, you try to fix it on the front end rather than it hitting into the already clogged up judicial system that, doesn't have necessarily the social services aspects that's available to treat. So I'm on board with the, with the thinking. Um, I just wonder, you know, what kind of things would work. And I, I can well, remember reading an article about some study done in Sweden, maybe, or wherever it was like, well, they created a clinic where you could come get a drug anytime you wanted. And because it was available anytime, it psychologically started dropping that drive for it. And, you know, they, this article at the time I read it years ago was like trying to make the case of more proactive and engaged instead of these people being out in the woodwork and hidden. It's trying to bring them into the light so you can keep engaged with them and monitor and then have more conversations. Plus, and and you. you're making the drug safe and, you know, well, you're, yeah, you're, you're, not making getting it, covered, you're making it you know, less whatever. taboo. And so there's not that adrenaline rush of, ooh, I'm, I'm you know, doing something naughty. Which and is, again, it well, it's it's the yeah. you know the the whole thing with you know some of these companies now that offer you unlimited vacation. Hmm. They say, well, they give these people unlimited vacation and find they take the same amount of vacation anyway. Right. You know, so if you're giving them the drugs, you're taking away, like you said, some of that mystery, some of that mystique. You know, and it's like, okay, well, I didn't necessarily want the drug. I just didn't want you to tell me I couldn't have the drug. Well, and again, I know, I think it was New York had a pilot program where they were, they were running facilities where if you're going to do drugs, you go there because it's a safe environment. You can be monitored. There are nurses and, and medical staff there to go, okay, people aren't going to OD because they didn't want people just going out on the street and ODing. Well, and but, as Haas said, right, you're, you're also getting, I guess we'll call them clean drugs, right? Clean drugs. You know, it's not laced with anything. Because it's not we cut. Well, right. it's we know it's going to. One of the bad things I know this was I read an article not that long ago about three separate people that died during COVID uh, in New York City who got cocaine laced with fentanyl. Fentanyl has been a real big problem. I don't know if you guys know this, but Mrs. Haas, that, that's what they prescribed to her when she got sick. Back you in had 08, stepped 09. away when I when I mentioned fentanyl. When we were talking about opioids. You had stepped away, and I apologize. Yeah, I should have waited. That's fine. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because she actually, once she got sober enough to understand what it was that she was on, she refused to take it. And she um, immediately went to them and said, I need you to take me off of this. I don't want to be on this. Because one fentanyl patch is worth like, I want to say it's 100 shots of morphine. Yes, it's or a something 50 like to 100 that. times more potent than morphine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I can tell you from what I witnessed, that shit's not no joke. And I, like, I know they were saying like people, I think they said it, a thing I saw, if it's this, the size of table salt grains, like two grains of table salt worth mm -hmm. of fentanyl, if mixed with something else can kill yeah. you. 
Yeah. And they, and that's what a lot of thing a lot of dealers have been doing is to make their product Cutting stronger. Stuff. So, you know, I mean, it's not, I hate to say it, it ain't your daddy's drugs or your granddaddy's no. drugs or even our drugs from when we were kids. Right. Like, I mean, the game's changed and it, it's all about getting people hooked. It's all about taking their dollars. If they die, fuck it. They'll just, they'll get someone else hooked and they'll yeah, just there's, keep, there's they'll just keep barreling. There. They'll keep barreling down the tracks. They don't give a fuck. I mean, in this country, we've, we've always had a needle program because we knew drugs were pervasive. And it's like, well, we can prevent sexually transmitted diseases if we give them clean needles because we know they're going to shoot up. So it's like, okay, well, you do have things in place to prevent other issues related to drug use. Why not combat? And and maybe that's just my ignorance of the entire situation because, yes, this happened and we are dealing with it. But it's just like, is there not some better resolution that can be dealt with at least from a numbers game when you're talking about the dollars and cents of it all because no, again that's, I what think we that's always... the key right is there there has to be some incentive for the people involved to want to do it and i'm not talking about the people that are doing the drugs the people that are helping them right you know if, if as you said you know you're not you're, you're getting funding for people in prison but not in you know rehab well where are you going to funnel the people you're going to funnel them to prison Right, they don't. Because you're they making don't, money. So there. The issue with drug addicts, one of the many issues is, and my wife equates it to hunger. You take somebody and you starve them, and then you put them in a room with food. Well, they're they're going to eat. Occasionally, they will they will be so they will want that food so bad they will eat they will binge to a point of making themselves sick. Addicts tend to be the same way. If they need it, if the body is calling for it. They subvert everything else in their lives. Nothing else matters but that. And if you put that in front of them, regardless of the hazard to themselves, or they are going to take it because for them, it is a hunger. It's like starving and needing it. The body just doesn't know any other way to deal with it except to take it. Well, and, and this is where I wanted to pull from that article I sent and put in the chat from Psychology Today. A couple of key things. A person with an addiction uses a substance or engages in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeat the activity despite detrimental consequences. There, there is evidence that addictive behaviors share key neurobiological features. They intensely involve brain pathways of reward and reinforcement, which involve the neurotransmitter dopamine. Um, substance use... Uh, da, 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 da. Another di distinguishing feature of addiction addictions is that individuals continue to pursue the activity despite the physical or psychological harm it incurs even if, even if that harm is exacerbated by repeated use typically one's tolerance to a substance increases as the body adapts to its presence and then the last part is because addiction affects the brain's executive functions centered in the prefrontal cortex individuals who develop an addiction may not be aware that their behavior is causing problems for themselves and others. Right. Over time, last, sorry, last one. No, Over time, pursuit of the pleasurable effects of the substance or behavior may dominate an individual's activities. And I think that's where, that's where the, that downhill spiral occurs at that point where everything else becomes second to whatever that particular vice is. If it if it's alcohol, if it's gambling, if it's sex, if it's drugs, I mean, it's cigarettes, it's cigarettes, yeah, or exactly. nicotine of any form, right? I mean, like we we know <laughs> this is one of the funniest things I've heard somebody tell me. Um, there was a guy that that worked, you know, for me um, when I was still in the army, and he smoked, 
And he said, his girlfriend came up to him and said, you know, have you done the math of how much it costs to smoke? If you didn't smoke, you could have that car or, you know, a car. And he's like, well, do you smoke? She's like, no. He's like, well, where's your car? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and his point was, it's like the fucking money goes somewhere. <laughs> you, right. like, Absolutely. <laughs> you act like you're putting into savings everything that you would have yes. spent on some bullshit throughout the week. <laughs> yeah, right. but I mean, I mean, but the, the point, the, 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 the legit point is, is the quality of your life is better. Like, yes, I mean, I, I will tell you. Um, it wasn't me, but some of the people that I was hanging out with that I would do coke with, they their lives because I, it's weird. Um, all of the drugs that I've had access to since I was a wee little lad, um, some of the stuff you get in hospitals is just like so much better than what you can get out on the street, right? So it's like I'm doing things. And I'm like, oh, this is nice, this is fun, but it's still not like not the what they give me when I'm in pain in the hospital. Right. And I would watch some of these other people, like just go down some amazingly shit tastic paths. And at the time I just remember thinking, I don't understand how you can go that far because my whole thing was, and always has been when I, when I do something like that, I walk the dog, the dog doesn't walk me. The minute that I begin to think the dog, that the dog is walking me, the drug has control over my decision-making I'm done. But some people don't have that lever. Right. And I saw some people do some things that were 100% outside their character as a person in their soul. And it hurt. It hurts everyone around you. Well, it's tragic. Of course it is. Absolutely. And that's part of the issue. But and again, talking about the connective tissue between a drug issue and mental health. Did you feel like you had mental health issues and that's why you reverted to doing? No, I was bored. So I wasn't bored. a mental health. Honestly, issue. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Um, I was making really good money, uh, doing real estate work. I was bored and lonely and had discretionary income. And that's how you chose fun. to spend it. It was fun. There you go. Uh, the the group the, uh, there was like uh, several different groups of people that I would hang out with and do it. And there's different places we would go and hang out in Atlanta and do it. And it was fun. Um, it until was it a wasn't. lot of fun. Until, you're right. Until it wasn't. Until it was like. I've been up for three days. Um, I will, t- I'll, I'll tell you guys a side story. I was up for like two or three days. Uh, I had met the guy we called doctor, who was the guy we, most of us got it from, um, whose father was an admiral in the Navy, um, came from really good stock. Uh, and he ran with some very wealthy individuals throughout the city of Atlanta. Uh, I met him for breakfast uh, to re-up and, and we met for breakfast and I shit my pants. Like just sitting there talking to him in a booth, just completely shot myself. Wasn't the first time you've so done this that. Is, this is, <laughs> I, mean, I, a I think here. it twice. It, it becomes a, a For the going record, in the there's a theme here. It's always when I'm on drugs. <laughs> Which um, is why you just drink. And, and it was one of those moments. Well, it was that and um, like my, my pants, because you lose a bunch of weight, especially when you're doing coke, right? Because you're never eating. It's a, it suppresses your hunger. Um, and it was one of those wake up calls where it's like, I just, it was just sitting in a restaurant. I had to like go out to my car and try to clean myself up and go to the bathroom in the restaurant, trying to clean myself up. And I'm like, what the fuck what am the I doing? doing? Yeah, the, the problem is most people, th- that's not the wake up call for them, sadly. Right. Or, or even if it is, they, they can't, you know, and, I, and I'm glad you were able to, to kind of put that together and, and, and you know, 
have a strong enough fortitude to to stop doing that because clearly that was not going to end well for you. But unfortunately, most people can at that point. They they've kind of you know gotten so far down the rabbit hole that you know I they're willing always, to just say, eh, guess what? You know what? That's just the price of doing business." Right. I always hate if I if I blow up a Waffle House, you know, so be it. Well, it's when one thing to blow up a Waffle House had... bathroom, but to do it at the booth. Yeah, bro, I'm telling you, it was. Yeah, it was one of those things. The Waffle like, House, oh, okay. Is it? And it's not like you know I was moving or active or what. I was just sitting there and just because a lot of times they'll cut it with laxative, with baby laxative. They'll cut cocaine with that. <laughs> Your sphincter so, already takes a beating on Friday night, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it was. <laughs> Grinch, what are you reading, brother? Because you look deep in. He's just not uh, listening to us. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, he's trying to hear me about shitting myself. <laughs> so, honestly, he's like, haven't I'm, we been down this road before? No, it's I, like I, I, I'm enjoying the fact that we're we're talking freely, but I'm also thinking about you. You're going to have some serious editing to do, and I wonder how that's going to chop. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be weird. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not diametrically opposed to leaving some of that in there, honestly. But I don't know, whatever. So yeah, care. the state of Florida, I, da da da. I shit myself. Oh well, that's a good edit. Yeah. Well, what, what well that, that probably makes sense. I just actually. wanted to be honest with you guys. Like, I mean, this is like you know, it's first and foremost is us talking, you know. And I know there's Agreed. parts of there's yeah, times I mean, we didn't it, talk it, and things I was a doing. Couple, a couple of things that were in this same article is you know. It, it's clear to say that the road to recovery is seldom straight, right? You know, because one of the things it talks about, um, all addictions have the capacity to induce a sense of hopelessness and feelings of failure, as well as shame and guilt. But research documents uh, that recovery is the rule. Research documents that recovery is the rule rather than the exception. There are many routes to recovery. The road to recovery is seldom straight, though, and they, it kind of discusses relapses. But it says, for those who achieve remission of an addiction disorder for five years, research, researchers report the likelihood of relapse is no greater than that uh, among the general population. Neuroscientists report that synaptic density is gradually restored. But uh, under this myth about addiction, and I will apply this to a number of things because it, it, it's kind of like the, you know, if you study serial killers, it's like, well, this person was one of five kids all abused in the same way but only one of them became a fucking serial killer you know right there's a whole lot more to just if you have this and this therefore you're going to be you know um the process that gives rise to addictive behavior um resists uh, a simplistic explanation there's not just one cause although genetic or other biological factors can contribute to a person's vulnerability to the condition many social psychological and environmental factors also have a powerful influence on substance abuse That's what I was kind of looking over. Reading through, gotcha. Mm-hmm. I was listening, but I, I was also okay. looking at the- Well, and again, you know, nationally, there is SAM HSA, SAM HSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and they oversee a lot of the mental health and the substance abuse, drug prevention, drug treatment. Um, their budget is currently $7.5 billion. The federal budget for corrections, uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons in this country is $8.7 billion. So obviously- they corrections gets more funding than, you know, resolving mental health and drug addiction issues. I can't say that I'm genuinely surprised because we know money drives everything. Um, but, you know, as it relates to, to the particular situation that I'm dealing with, there are more than 80,000 uh, inmates in the state of Florida. The average cost of housing an inmate per year is about $28,000. 
That is 80,000 inmates across 129 facilities here in the state of Florida. For drug rehab, there are more than 847 active drug drug rehab treatments. So what is that? 129, 847, what? Five times as many drug rehab treatment centers. Yet there are only 50, 57,000 patients in those facilities here in the state of Florida. And the average cost for a individual patient in, in rehab, they can expect to pay about $1,800 for a stay. Now, that, that, that depends on if it's outpatient versus residential. Obviously, residential rehab means you are living there. The treatments are more focused, slightly different. Residential rehabs can expect to pay about 56000 depending on the length of their stay. But 80,000 inmates in Florida at $28,000 an inmate comes out to about $281 million a year to house those inmates. 12.5% of those tend to be nonviolent drug crimes. So, and if I'm not mistaken, and I, I, I probably am, but um, mental health treatment and abuse treatment is not covered by health insurance. I imagine you can, well, I don't and, know. I, I guess it would depend on what, you know the company that you're working for and the stipulations that they've set up with whatever their provider is, if it's like a blue cross or a, I don't yeah, know. And, I, and others, maybe some of that's but... changed just given the opioid crisis and some other things of like, right. no, actually this is in our interest, uh, which certainly could drive up the cost of healthcare. But uh, I'm just, I, I, I mean, I've heard a lot of stories and we've seen it in movies and shows of like families having to come together to go, how are we going to pay for this? Right. We're putting them in something that they don't even really want to be in to begin with. And we got to figure out how to pay these thousands of dollars. Right. I mean, Mac, you and I talked about this briefly yesterday. Like we come on here, we talk about it. We don't have an answer. There's not something right. that we're necessarily putting forward forward as a resolution to whatever the particular issue is we're discussing, but it is just well, trying to get it on the radar right. and make people think. I think we've touched on it before. I mean, I think obviously, I think this falls in the, under the, I mean, I think we've touched on it before in other episodes, but I think we've also touched on it a little bit tonight, which is that mental health and drug addiction kind of go hand in hand in some ways. And so until we have laws and mechanisms in place to help protect these individuals and help them get back on the right path, it's going to spiral. And that's all it's going to do is spiral. Right. And, and we're going to, we're going to see just as many issues again, like my family is dealing with now, other families are going to be dealing with, and it, it just becomes a vicious, frustrating fucking merry-go-round that you you end up being on because there is no answer. No one wants to take the time and effort to to really do anything substantial about it. You know, Haas, as you said, it's not that they don't care necessarily, but these frontline workers are are inundated with so much that it's hard to just spread themselves that thin. You know, and it's like when we were talking to the the uh sheriff's office. We're looking at the police report and it, you know, it's like, oh, well, here's when the call was made and here's when the police officers supposedly got on site. And then here's when they got the all clear and, and they're telling us about it. Like, you don't understand when the dispatcher gets a call, they notify the police officer. There's a button in the car. The police officer hits that says, I'm responding to this call. When they get on scene, they're supposed to hit that button again that says I'm on scene and it's supposed to notify, it's supposed to register on the police report so that they have an accurate record. Here's when the call came in. 
you know, when I was dispatched, here's when I arrived. And then when they get the all clear, they go back to the car, they hit this button. And so it's supposed to all, and when you get the report, I'm looking at them and go, well, it says, okay, they're en route at X time, but they, when they arrived on the scene, that's left blank. And she's like, well, you have to understand when it's a situation like this, you get there as a police officer, you're not thinking, oh, I got to hit that button. You're thinking, get in there and assess the situation and figure out what's going on, which I totally get. I'm fine with that. But the other thing is also, you know, like we joke about read the room. If you know that you are responding to a house that has had 31 911 calls in 11 months, you have to walk in there with an expectation that they I mean, is it too is it too presumptuous to expect that the officer showing up would know that? I mean, you would think so, right? You would think intuitively that would be a conversation that these guys and women have around water cooler or whatever, right? Like, right. Like it's this fucking house again. But maybe, and, and, maybe it's a new officer they didn't know. And that and I, that's possible. And that's possible. But but the concern is okay, everything that we're paying to have access to, the 911 call, the police report, you guys have access to. You're the police department. I shouldn't have to express, hey, go listen to the 911 call. You will hear them say, hypodermic needle in the arm. And I get it. If you get there and you're not seeing paraphernalia, which is the other interesting fact in dealing with a situation, if Grinch has drugs on him and he gets pulled over, that's illegal. But if Grinch is on the floor unconscious with drugs in his system, that's not a legal issue. They will not arrest him if the drugs are in his system. But if it's on him, that's illegal. And I'm like, what? The, the, he took the drugs. How is that not an issue to take him well, to Well, because somebody could give somebody drugs inadvertently, maybe. I mean, maybe that's the take is that someone could drug you. And I understand that, but it's just like, if it's not on your person, it's not a, an illegal act. If you've, if you've swallowed fentanyl if you've shot up heroin i mean yeah, as long as it's you, in your system it's not illegal well, apparently yeah, in the state of I florida mean, it, it's just i mean it's like with alcohol and, and marijuana you, you don't get the possession you get a dui or a dwi right it's the offense of operating a vehicle while being on the substance not the fact that you took it uh it, unless you happen to also be in possession you know if that's discovered right right if it's the in the vehicle being pulled over you know um you know, what is it? The uh, uh, trying to think of the term that could lead to a search, probable cause. Right. And again, yeah. if you're coming into a house or somebody's on the floor, doesn't that give you probable cause to go? We're going to search the house real quick. We just want to make sure, see if there's anything you don't need. When, when something like that's occurred, they're not required to have a warrant to search the house. They've been called into the house. So effectively, you have agreed to access. They don't then yeah. require a warrant to go, well, we're searching your residence. I mean, if I'm not, and again, I don't know, I'm not personally dealt with this, but, you know, I suspect, you know, dispatch is probably seeing some things. And I gather, you know, with um, police vehicles, we've all seen them with their information, you know, their laptop that's mounted right. inside. Yeah. I don't know what all that shows. What I know, I mean, we know if you get pulled over, they can tell how many times you've been pulled over. If this is right. your third speeding offense, I don't know what that looks like for how often a, a house has been called to. Right. I would imagine, you know, the records getting created as the call comes in and dispatch might be seeing that. Now, I don't know if they're going to go, hey, by the way, this is the 31st time this month, you know, right. or something like that. Um, but if the officer's showing up, they're they're there to deal with the situation. And then if it's, an overdose they're getting handed over to medical care right 
because I mean, as we discussed earlier, the last thing you want to do is take somebody who's an absolute addict and go, we're putting you straight into jail, bud. As soon right. As and I agree with that. You know, it, it's just, I guess the, you know, the takeaway from that is, is there's no answer other than those two is kind of what we've been saying for a while now. It is medical treatment, family and the individual making choices after that based on a variety of factors or a crime was committed. So they're going to go into a process where they get their day in court. Right. Well, and, 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 and I think there's another larger systemic issue, not just here, but like within healthcare too, is that the system is spread so thin. These individuals, the human factor of people who are supposed to handle these situations are spread so thin that if you don't have an advocate, even if you do have an advocate, you still might not get the just treatment that you should get as a human being and a taxpayer. Right. No, and I can tell you right now from the time we've spent in hospitals with, you know, the in-laws, um, for each and every one of you, and this goes for your significant others, you have to have somebody there watching and paying attention to what's going on. You cannot, just to your point, they're they're overwhelmed. And you cannot, you know, you you want to rely on them to make the right decisions, but they can't always do that because they're dealing with so many people. You have to have an advocate. Right. And I guess that was the frustrating thing I found out afterwards. It's like if the, when he was admitted, he was in ER, the critical care unit didn't have a bed for him. And it was almost a week before they got him into the critical care unit. Well, again, like I said, ER disposes of their samples three days after intake because the expectation is they're getting moved. Well, right. And it's a room issue, right? And it is because a room. It's a having a bed in. issue. Right. So rather than hoard, they're like, yeah, it's got to go. And when we asked critical care about it, they said, well, the problem is you can't run a tox screen now. His body's been inundated with so many drugs just at the hospital to keep him alive. You'll get no accurate reading. No nothing that he came in with an issue is going to showcase now. And it's just like, well, that's fucked. You know, it's like, how, well, why how is it there's some kind of preservation protocol line? Right. Yeah. And, and, again, and, and here's the thing. There very well may be. But they may not want to – this is completely off the record. I don't know this to be true. But I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to fathom a situation where higher-ups in a hospital money-making institution say, if these certain individuals or these certain circumstances come into play, mm -mm, we're not dealing – we're just keep moving. Just keep moving. They, just, they just miss doing it and, because true. they were busy that night. And right. so now they're going to, like again, close ranks and say – well, yeah, we just don't do that. Right, like you have, a, you, have a, you have a nine-year-old kid who came and got bit by a dog. You're going to worry about that more than you're going to worry about, you know, someone who's X, Y, Z, something yeah. else. This yeah. is, right. you know, probably not even on the scale of what some of these, these hospitals and big cities deal with. But, I mean, when I had my surgery the other week, they said they had 27 surgeries that day. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Did you make sure to write, right, left and right on your? <laughs> well, it is yeah. funny, but when the ankle came in, the doctor had to sign the leg. He had to do initial the leg that was the side that was going to be done. That's yeah. a concern. Um, I mean, it's a concern. But, You're like, wait, what? Yeah, because when I was talking this? to the ER nurse who was who was getting me all set up, you know, um, we were talking about volume, and she's like, "Sure, some days are worse than others, but you know, we average like 27 a day sometimes." And I was wow. like, oh, "Fuck me." You guys imagine just that number. was your day in and day out job. Oh, I know. And imagine oh, fuck me. They, no thanks. I'm working good. in an ER mm -hmm. like some days. You're just fucking probably tired. And you just you never know. know what you're going to get, you know. Yeah. At least in that case, right? You know, they're scheduling the surgeries. So, you know, okay, I know on this day, yeah, I've got 23 surgeries, but they're this, 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 and this. Whereas right. in an ER, it's like, 
You're just taking that shit as it flies in at you. Comes in. And yeah. And, and who and knows what call, you've got. You get you get in this situation, I assume this is a pretty standard practice. You get called the day before and they tell you when you show up. Yeah. You know the day. You just don't know what time. The time. So, you know, for my first two, I know this is starting to sound funny, but I was there at five in the morning. And then like the next two, it was like eleven and nine thirty or something like that. And it was funny because I did have the same nurse for my last two when I came <laughs> in. <laughs> and she's like, what are you, you doing <laughs> again? It's the million dollar man who's going to replace yeah. everything. He's all he's all fucking synthetic. As I'm coming now. in on crutches, and she's just looking yeah. at me, shaking her head. <laughs> well, gentlemen, you know I know we're running long here, and I do appreciate it. This is it has been a tough week. Obviously, you know my absolute stress drink kind of denoted that, but it you know it's been just kind of stress fueled, and you know. It's, moving from one situation to the next and in some regards just being on autopilot but dealing with this situation has not been easy for the family um i appreciate you guys giving me like i said giving me a room to just kind of say what i needed to say kind of get some of that off my chest frustration and anger on, on a lot of of different things at a lot of different people at the way the situation is currently being handled and you know we don't really have any resolution we'll see how everything kind of shakes out as things move forward the officer that is supposed to be in, investigating it from a drag drug drag from a drug force <laughs> response is, power grid. has been out has <laughs> been out and won't be back until thursday so we've gotten no movement in terms of that and so we're you know we're just waiting to see it just a lot of inconsistencies throws up some red flags the 31 calls in 11 months the the you know it was ingested methamphetamines versus it was a hypodermic needle in the arm. It's like, come on, man, just do your due fucking diligence. It's not that difficult. You can see the inconsistencies. You have access to everything we do. And, you know, just, I would like to know, because right now the medical examiner, the cause of death is inconclusive. I don't know what that means, but that's what the ME told us. And so, you know, they're like, well, we didn't have access to any of the tissue samples, the hospital pitch theirs, the organ donor company hasn't given us anything. And it's just like, that's awesome. Great work. Fucking double trouble right uh, there. We didn't even get in, you know, maybe this is a two-parter, but we didn't even get into that aspect of the whole organ donor. Yeah, because there it's was just all... coincidental timing that there was an article that came out on the 22nd of this month about the federal government Wednesday outlined a plan to revamp the nation's organ transplant system. And these organ procurement organizations, these OPOs, they make a ton of money. And so part of the concern is really that that's all they're trying to do. It's like, oh, your loved one's this or that. Well, how about organ donorship? And again, obviously you can sign up for it on your license when you get your license to be an organ donor, which is perfectly fine. This individual was, and that's great. Somebody benefits from that. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's just like, for them, it's a business. And they're like, yeah, but there are other factors at play. And we got, we kind of got stuck in a corner going, well, you know, if we donate his organs, then the, the medical examiner or the hospital won't have access to test these things. Do you give the organs? Do you not give the organs? Do you, do you make somebody potentially suffer because they can't benefit from an organ because you're deciding to make a call that you want that organ held onto to be looked at and, and sampled and to test. And it's like, which may or may not even occur. Right. And that's just a shit position to be in to go, I'm going to deny somebody a longer life because but that's the position they put you in. But it is a money-making scheme. And I say scheme, but it is a money-making business for these organ procurement offices, organizations. There are 104,000 people in the United States currently on the waiting list for organ transplants. Yeah. that uh, To me, that actually seems low. 
and and uh, and he did this individual did donate a liver what they were able to retrieve the liver and both kidneys so three individuals will get that you know that's great but at the end of the day it's you know that's that's still an issue we've had to wrap our head around. It's like, how do we deal with this? Do we let that happen? Do we not? Now, of course, it was their choice because they signed up on their license to be an organ donor. But again, they reached out to us. The OPO reached out to us. Go, do you want to do this? And you know, how do you not respect someone's wishes? Well, I was going to say that's want? interesting that you could override what they what they chose to be their last wish. Yeah. Which is, of course, a whole nother issue because there was no will in place. There was no next of kin. Yeah, you and, and I talked about that, yeah, having to deal with, you know, yes. all of that stuff. Um, because obviously, I'm sure, you know, this wasn't anything that he planned on happening. No. So, you know, and at 44, you don't typically think of, okay, I need a will in place. I need, you know, somebody to have, you know, access to all my bank accounts, that kind of stuff. Now you're having to scramble and then go through probate possibly. Well, and it's not uh, which just is a whole nother matter. It's not just that it's, it's relaying information to family members going, well, you know, they're not in a position to take that information from a health standpoint. We don't want them hit with this information. Can you come through us? No, legally we're not allowed. We right. have to go to them. And it's like, that's fucking ridiculous, but I, I understand it. Right. But it's like, I'm telling you, this person can't take that news. And yet you're telling me, sorry, you're shit out of luck. There's nothing in place I mean, to prevent that. It's like, hey, but, here's a here's a fun fact. Fun fact. Opioid op, opioid related overdoses are now the leading cause of death in Americans under under 50 years of age. Yeah. I believe it. Fucking sad state of affairs. Sad state of affairs. And again, you you can make the comment, well, they're addicts. Yeah, but there is a mental health. They're issue. still there humans. Something. There's a, yeah, but there's it, a... but it's no different than people dying from cancer from smoking, right? Like these companies knew their products were harmful and right. they knew they were addictive and they put that shit out there and marketed it and sold it and profitized hey, it. You know, you know, I don't know if I sent this article to everybody, but you know, it was like it was like a World War One veteran that invented Coke. I think you sent that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah you it did. was a mix of cocaine and like wine. Yeah, and then why can't you know, we get that? Recipe. Why can't we get that recipe anymore? <laughs> As Doc joked, we've lost something truly special in this world, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, gentlemen, I do appreciate that was the it. new formula, new coke. Yeah, I, I I needed to say what I needed to say. Get it off my chest. I appreciate you guys giving me the venue to do that. So thank you very much for all you listeners out there. Do yourselves a favor. You know, if there's a, a local facility, something that you can donate to, uh, you know, do that. Find a way to help. Find a way to to do what you can for people, uh, you know, that cannot help themselves. So I, I would ask that. My wife and I are going to be doing that in honor of this individual. And so, uh, you know, if it is at all possible, do what you can. Because the government's only going to do what they have to do. They're not going to do any more than that as little as possible especially in the great state of fucking florida but you know with that being said please go out to our website spiriteddebate.com check out all of the episodes all of the drinks that we have grinch stepping up his drink game with the see no evil yeah. mac mac reducing his drink game down yes. to one alcohol and a few cherries with some eagle rare and oh, Haas, wait stop he Haas just being he refined it no he refined his <laughs> refined drink. it is that what it was he refined it uh -huh. got it well he needs mm. to find it but uh, yeah, all of the drinks that we have there, if, if that's not good enough, go to the four horsemen at a spirit of debate.com. Drop us a line topic. You'd like us to debate a drink. You'd like us to try. Tell us how you feel about the, the drug addiction epidemic here in the United States, opioids, fentanyl. Uh, you know, do you have a cocaine problem? 
Do you need help? We can point you in the right direction. Maybe possibly legal says I should stay away from that. Or, and I'm or going at least to. a bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Do not shit yourself in a waffle house. Don't do that. Or a brain love, or a train station in Bratislava. Don't do that either. It is what it uh, is, bro. It is. That's right. Uh, so thank you guys. I appreciate, I love all of you. And, and thank you again, again, thank you for letting me do this. Uh, it's something I needed to do. So uh, until next time, I bid you all adieu and I look forward to it. views, information, or opinions expressed during the Aspirated Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests involved and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the hosts or guests may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. While guests are invited to listen, listeners acknowledge that they are not being provided professional advice from the podcast or its guests. The content within the parameters of Aspirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.